Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Sometimes life seems like a contradiction. Um, I don't know if you've ever consciously thought of that or felt that way about it, but there's things that we believe and things that are important to us and things we want to see accomplished and relationships we want to be a certain way. And then there's real life. <laughs> and those two things don't always match up. Right? And, and we try to figure out how do we navigate that. And, and, and this is one of the reasons, uh, by the way, that, that young people, sometimes adults, but young people will leave the church. Because they, you know, they grow up because they're becoming adults and then they're trying to live this Christian life and there's this contradiction going on in their life because all they've heard about how they're supposed to live, the way they're supposed to think, what they're supposed to do is there, but then as, as adults trying to work, they struggle with it and, and they fail and, and, and have these problems and at some point they, they either they give up trying and walk away or they just kind of shut down and you know, it just doesn't work. And it's because we don't have a realistic understanding of how this all works. Well, in the Bible, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in fact, um, why don't you go ahead and turn there. And I'll tell you where in a little while. But in Corinth, it, it's a, a really interesting to, to study uh, the, the Corinthian church and what it was like based on what Paul wrote to them. And in the first letter, it's divided up into 16 chapters. And in this chapter... Paul starts talking about all their problems. How would you like to have, uh, you know, your life be in the Bible and then, so they record all your problems, right? Well, this is a church like that, but Corinth. So, so here are some of the problems that they faced. There was division in the church and it was pretty ugly. Uh, they were valuing human wisdom over God's wisdom. Uh, they were rejecting even the idea of authority in their lives. Uh, they were accepting immorality in the church. They were pressing back against Paul and his authority as an apostle in their lives. And, and they allowed, uh, in chapter 5 it talks about they allowed immorality amongst their people. It says the kind that even people who aren't Christians think is wrong. And they were patting themselves on the back because of, they, were, they were proud of themselves because we were so open and loving and caring. Now at the same time, Paul goes after them because while they were being so loving and accepting within their church, they were judging people outside the church very harshly. He said, that, that's God's business to judge them. We ought to be judging inside. And so, so then he talks about the fact that they were suing each other. They were, how would you like to go to court? I mean, come to church with people that you're suing each other. That'd get a little difficult, wouldn't it? Okay? Uh, and they were not thinking, uh, they were making light of sin. They were making light of the marriage relationship. They were minoring on things that were majors and majoring on things that were minors. Um, they weren't learning from examples of the Bible. They weren't putting that into practice. They came to spiritual gifts they didn't understand the spiritual gifts and their purpose and they were misusing them and, and you know, being prideful in the process. And it even got, there were some people who said, well, we really aren't sure if Jesus rose from the dead or not. That's a messed up church, isn't it? 
I mean, you agree with that? That's a list of, of problems. And that's what Paul records about the Corinthian church. That's what he's responding to and what he's talking to them about. And if you have a messed up church, what does that mean about a bunch of the people in the church? They're messed up too. That's right. That's how a church, by the way, that's how a church gets messed up, right? Because it has messed up people in it. And so they were just all sorts of problems, all sorts of difficulties. And yet they were Christians. And so there's somewhat of a contradiction there, isn't there? In their lives. Well, let's look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the racks under the chairs there. We'd encourage you to follow along. We're going to be on page 1310, page 1310. So here at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we've listed the problems, okay? So once again, go ahead and go to that next slide if you would, John. We've listed the problems. Now let's see how Paul talks to them. Wouldn't you expect that Paul introduces this letter you know, preparing to deal with those problems. Wouldn't you do that? If you had, I, I got to talk to you about it. I got to kind of set the stage here to do that. But I want to show you how he actually addresses them. Starting in verse number four, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Wow. He starts off being thankful for these people who have all these problems. And he's thankful because he says that God has given them grace. All right, well, let's talk just briefly about what grace is. Uh, and let's, let's contrast. So on Wednesday night in our Bible study time, our next step uh, study, um, we talked about the difference between grace and mercy. Now, mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Okay? So imagine the, the little kid a mom says, don't you dare get a cookie out of the cookie jar because we're going to be eating supper in a little bit. If you, if you get a cookie out of the cookie jar, you know, you're going to have to sit in your room and wait there. Something the kid hates. So, sure enough, when mom goes around the corner, what's the kid do? Out comes the cookie. And, of course, around the corner comes mom, right? And... You know, the penalty was supposed to be, you know, you go sit in your room, you sit there, be quiet until supper time. And then mom looks at him and says, you know what? Just put the cookie back and I'm, I'm not going to send you to your room this time. You can go ahead and play out here. That's mercy. See, didn't get what he deserved. Now, grace is different than that, though. It looks kind of similar to us. Grace is when God interacts with us without any consideration of whether we deserve it or not. In other words, what we deserve or not isn't the issue. The issue is that God is showing grace. Okay? And that would be like mom coming around and knowing, uh, you know, the kid and the kid's playing and mom says, you know, she gets in and reaches a cookie and gives it to the kid because mom wants to give the kid a cookie. That's grace. You see the difference? You with me on that? All right. Well, when we experience the grace of God, it enables us to become gracious. Because God has dealt with me just because of my, he has determined I'm valuable to him. And so he's acted, moved toward me in grace. That enables me and frees me up to be able to show grace to other people. And so when we really experience the grace of God, then we become gracious people. And we can extend grace to other people. And, and there's, it's not about them doing anything for us or earning it or deserving it. It's just 
we're moving toward them and caring. Okay? Well, this is what Paul says about the Corinthians. Okay? Uh, he's thankful for them because they have experienced God's grace, which means they were gracious people. The, the kind of pr- person you'd think, wow, that's a good Christian. Then he continues. He says that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that is always an encouragement to me is when I either hear about a church member or that I hear actually overhear a church member talking with someone, and it's obvious that they know their Bible. They, you know, they, they're enriched in knowledge. They know the Word of God. And utterance, they're able to talk about it. They're able to explain it. You know, that's a good thing when a Christian can do that, okay? And so Paul says that's the way these people were. They, they knew the Word. They were able to explain it and talk about it with other people. That's a good, good thing. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, there was no doubt that these people knew Jesus. You know, sometimes we see people living, they say they're Christian, and then we see them living in some way, and we say, wow, I wonder if they're really, really Christians or not, you know. Well, Paul here says, no doubt. It was confirmed. You have a testimony that you know Christ. It's obvious that you have a relationship with him. Verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things, you come short in no gift. He says, in your church, every spiritual gift that God gives is in your church. Somebody has this gift, somebody has this gift. Every gift, you guys aren't missing any gifts. You are a gifted people. God has gifted you in wonderful ways, amazing ways. And then he says that you are eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Lord Jesus Christ means Christ revealing himself as he returns for us from heaven. And he says the Corinthians were looking forward to that. Do you know the Bible tells us that that's a mark of a mature Christian? It's a mark of a Christian who's taking life very seriously as they actually believe Jesus is returning and they look forward to it. So Paul is saying, you guys, you got it together here in this area of your life. Looking forward to the Lord's return. Verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end. You know, one of the hard things as a pastor, and not just as a pastor, but as a church member, you've experienced it. And that's when you see people come to church and they start coming and, and this is good. And then at some point down the line, they start to fade away. And then one day you realize you don't see them anymore. But Paul says, I, I am absolutely convinced that's not you. God's working in your life. You're going to be here till the very end. You're sticking. You're strong Christians in that way. And then he says that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. When the Lord returns for you, he says, whether he returns from heaven for you, as he does for all of us, or whether he returns for you personally, when it's your time to go, that you're going to be found blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean perfect, but it does mean that you've done things the right way for the right reasons, and God has done an amazing work in your life. Now, if we had read just verses 4 through 8, how would we describe these guys? As good Christians, wouldn't we? I mean, they sound like good, solid Christians, the kind of Christians you'd like to hang around with, the kind of church that you'd like to be a part of. And yet, I mean, look at the list, right? 
How does that list jive with that list? Same people. How do we reconcile that? Well, it gets worse, okay? Let's go back up and read verse 2. He says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop right there. Sanctified. The word sanctified comes from the root word of holiness. Okay? That, that's the idea of holiness. He says, God has made you holy. So this list on the left was not just going through the motions. God had made them holy. He had sanctified them. He had set them apart for his purposes. He had made them holy deep down inside when he forgave their sins. Then it continues. Not only are they holy, he says, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And I want you to notice uh, that he does not say called to become saints. Not called to try to be saints. No, he says, you're calling. When you got saved, God put a calling on your life to be a saint now. Not a saint someday, a saint now. In fact, I don't know if in your Bible, if you notice, do you notice the words called to be, to be? Are they in, are they in italics in your Bible? See that? Okay. That means that those are words that the, that the uh, uh, translators tried to add to, to try to clarify what they were saying, okay? But if we take those two words out of our English translation here, they're not wrong. I mean, they, it's, it's a fine way to say it. But he was saying, you, God calls you saints. God calls you saints. You are a saint. Now, depending on what your religious background is, you might think of a saint as someone who lived a long time ago, you know, and if they're a guy, big beard, you know, and how they dressed, and, and, and then, you know, they had a good reputation, and then later on people tried to follow their teachings, and then maybe a miracle was done in their name, all this kind of stuff. But that's not in the Bible. Okay, that's not what the Bible says. That's, that's a religious tradition that some people have, but it's not what the Bible says. When the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about everyone who has received Jesus as Savior. See, let's look at that again. Remember, he says, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody who has come to Christ, God says you are now a saint. Saint means a holy one. Same root word is sanctified. In fact, we could be accurate and make up a new word. Instead of he hasn't just sanctified you. He has sanctified you. You have been sanctified. I think he should go out tomorrow and tell people, do you know I've been sanctified? Well, probably not really a good idea. But that is the reality. That's what God says. And he says that these Corinthians were already saints. So how does that jive with that list? How does it jive with the all the problems we see in their lives. And he says all these good things. And he says, in fact, you are saints. How, how can that possibly be? Well, let, let's, let's consider a couple of ways to think about this that might help with that. Uh, the first one is this. When we think about babies, from the moment of conception, that 
whatever you want to call embryo, whatever, is a human being. Okay? It has, science says that's when human life begins. Human life begins at conception. Now, does that thing, that single-celled and soon-to-be multi-celled, does that look anything like a human being to you? No, not for what we normally think of humans, but it does look like a human being at that stage in development. But inside that cell and every cell that comes after it is the full DNA, human DNA. Everything that is in there, okay, is determining, is shaping. And that, uh, from conception to a finally is born and, and, and then becomes a mature adult someday. That DNA is present right from the beginning. Now, I want you to see is... Does that look like a human? No, it does not look like a human to us, but it is. But in the process, it, that hum, what we think of as human does what? Shows up because the DNA drives that and, and shapes and, and forms. But it's human from the beginning. Well, that's the way you and I are as Christians. When we come to Christ and, and receive Christ as Savior, it says he sanctifies us. He, he has forgiven us our sins and he made us holy and righteous and pure deep down inside in our spirits. He, he made us a saint. And he put there the spiritual DNA of a saint. And so what will that spiritual DNA do? Just as surely as that human DNA continues to shape until it looks like a human being to us so that spiritual DNA will do the same in us, okay? Even though we have all these other problems in our lives, we are already saints. One other illustration that might help with this. When a sculptor uh, gets in mind and, and, you know, and maybe draws out on paper or whatever, uh, the sculpture that they want to do, and they get this huge piece of rock, granite or whatever. I want you to think about this. Do you realize that that statue is already there. It's already there. It's in, in the rock. And what does the sculptor do? Chips away, slowly chips away, the parts that don't belong. In the process, revealing the statue. And so it is in our lives. God starts off with like this big rock, okay? But inside, that saint is there. And he begins working in our lives and, and begins to chip away and, and let challenges come into our lives. And, and sometimes he lets us reap what we sow, all this kind of stuff, to chip away the stuff that doesn't belong and to where we then look like a saint because we are one so we are saints, and let's say it this way. We are saints under construction, okay? We are saints under construction. We are already saints, but he's still working on us. Um, and by the way, this is the title of this sermon series that we're starting and during for the next six weeks from 1 Corinthians here. Saints under construction. Now, Paul's um, also, well, let me back up just a minute. How? Can we have any hope if here we are, and let's say this is, this, is all, this is the long list of problems. Do you think you can make your own list for yourself? Yeah, we can make our own list, right? With this long list of stuff that isn't the way it ought to be, it isn't the way we want it to be, we struggle with that, and then over here is what God says, you are. <laughs> and you think, well, how do I get my experience to match there. Because my experience tells me I'm staying here. 
because I know me. And if it's up to me to get this life changed from here, from the mess, to here, what it's supposed to be, it's not going to happen. I know that for a fact. And it's the same for you. Well, Paul tells us here how it is that we can get from here to here in our experience. Not in our becoming, we're already that, but in our experience of it. Let's look back in, in chapter one here. Verse number nine, after he said all this, he says, God is faithful. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is why we can have the confidence that what God has said about us is not only true, but that we will experience it more and more as true in our lives. Because, because you're faithful? Is that what he says? Because I'm faithful? No, because God is faithful. Let's go ahead and go to that next slide, if you would, John. Right? God is faithful. What good news that is. Paul reinforces this idea in Philippians chapter 1 when he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, what? Say it with me. Will complete it. God will do it. He starts work. He's the one that said you are a saint. He's the one who says that you will be blameless. He's the one who said that you are gracious. He's the one who says all of those things, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, he is going to bring it to pass. And then he says at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. There's that word, right? Make this a reality in your life. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. What's the word? Blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. The word of God says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. That is such good news. That when our lives are not what they're supposed to be, and, and you know, I think until we die, our lives will always have things in it aren't what they're supposed to be. We're a work in progress. But nonetheless, God is always at work. God is always faithful. God is the one who is bringing these changes and things to pass. Well, so what does this mean for us? What this means is that we should be greatly encouraged. Because I got to tell you, if, if it's up to me over here, I don't get encouraged. I get discouraged. Anybody besides me ever experienced this problem? Okay. Yeah. But when I remember the, wait a minute, God is the faithful one. He is the one who's bringing about these changes in my life. He is the one who is working on me. Then I can be greatly encouraged. Um, I don't know about you, but the, the, the kind of the thought that comes into my mind is, okay, God is faithful, but I'm not. I'm going to mess it up. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. Even when you mess it up, God is still faithful. 
He's still working on you. I mean, when we cooperate with God, right, when we, we, we go to his word and we look and see what it says, uh, when we do those kinds of things, then, then you know, things can go better, that maybe, maybe changes can come quicker, uh, may there be, you know, greater blessings from it. But when we aren't cooperating because we're either ignoring or we're being rebellious or we're scared and we don't cooperate, God still works. God is still faithful. And, and he's so faithful, he may just let you experience the, the consequences of your choices for a while. Now, that doesn't always feel like, you know, we don't think God is faithful. What do you mean he's faithful? He's letting me hurt. Do you know some of the most important lives, lessons in life I learned because I made bad choices and they hurt? <laughs> See, God is faithful to let us even go through those things so we learn. And he uses it all. As the Bible says, to conform us to the image of Christ, to, to make us look like this saint that he's already declared us to be on the inside. So think about this. In your thinking, uh, anybody here with me find yourself struggling to think right about things sometimes? You know, we can find ourselves thinking wrong about things. And God knows that. And he's faithful. He's working to, to bring our thinking into line with what's really true and right. Uh, then there's those times when your heart, you know, isn't where it ought to be. Maybe your motives aren't right or, or you do have that great discouragement or you're losing heart, whatever. God is faithful. He's working there. He, he, he hasn't abandoned you. Okay? Uh, when you, whatever it is, you can think your finances, your health, your relationships, all these kinds of things, whatever problems there are, whether you even know you have them or not, God knows about them, and God is faithfully at work in those things to use them to shape you into being more like Jesus, into being that saint that he made you to be. Now, the good news is this. Because God is faithful, I don't need to give up. Because like I said, when I'm here at different times in life, and you know, it's sometimes more than others, but you reach those points, it's like you feel like you're in so far over your head and you can't even figure out how you're going to get out of this or how you're going to fix it or a change is going to come. And it's like, you know, what's the point? But wait a minute, because God is faithful, I don't have to give up. I can keep going. And it's going to matter. It's not going to be wasted. It's going to make a difference. Because God is faithful. But get this. I find myself here in over my head, all the things I subscribe to you. Even if I give up, God has not. God is faithful and will continue to work. And at some point, you'll get to that point where you see it and you get up and go again. Because God is faithful. He's always there. He's always working. He's always ready for you to respond in faith to him. He's always there, ready to, to do these things. And you know, he has shown his faithfulness to us here. With our whole church family, people here in the first service and in this service and people who weren't here today, God has shown himself greatly faithful. You know, we have a number of people in our church 
who experienced just really severe child abuse. And I mean, extremely severe. And because of that, you know, they believe wrong things about themselves. Because of that, they made really bad choices in life that complicated all sorts of things in their lives. And, and they, they carried great shame. But you know what? God worked in their life. God called them to himself. They received Christ as Savior. He went to work in their lives. And they began to learn the truth about all this. And they were able to forgive and to get freedom. And they're no longer governed by the shame. Because God is faithful. And we have people in our church who have been in jail for things that they'd rather not ever even talk about. They've come to Christ and he has changed them, so changed them that you wouldn't even ever, you would never know because God has done such an amazing work of grace in their lives. And, and why is that? It's because what? Say it with me. Because God is faithful. We have people in our church who really felt like social outcasts. You know, they couldn't fit anywhere. <clears throat> and they just weren't able to make those connections in life. And so they reserved, pulled back, and, and God has worked in their lives where they're starting to feel like, wow, I am accepted. God has accepted me. And these people who are God's people, they're accepting me. And they're beginning to experience a freedom, starting to, to open up. Why, how can they do that? It's because of what? Because... Say it with me. God is faithful. We have people who are doing the opposite of that. We have people who, who have put on a big show for everybody. Right? You know, because they're trying to look right, act right, talk right, be right. Do that because deep down inside they're a mess. It's a disaster inside, but they can't let anybody know that. But they've been around and with, with uh, relationships with people and praying and the preaching of the word, the teaching and, and the fellowship back... They're starting to realize, I don't have to be that anymore. And, and they start to let the guard down and be real. You know why that happens? Because God is faithful. And whatever your issue is here today, God is faithful. He's working there. If you let him, you cooperate with him, you'll get there sooner rather than later. You'll have this contradiction just won't be quite as contradictory anymore. Because God will be working. Well, so what do you need to do? What should we do about all this? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to receive Christ as Savior. If you haven't once and for all done that, that's the first step. That's how it opens up. By the way, let me say to you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior, let me explain what I'm talking about. The fact of the matter is, is that every one of us are born with sinful tendencies. We're born dead to God, dead spiritually. We do our own thing in life. We might believe in God and even try to do good things, but spiritually inside we're dead to God, separated from him because of our sin. And if we die in that condition, we will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. All right, but God has been faithful to you. He has provided you a way for that not to be your destiny. He sent his only son into the world, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, taking the penalty for my sins, 
the penalty for your sins, the penalty for everybody's sins in the whole world. And he died there paying that penalty so he wouldn't have to. And then he rose again from the dead. And so God, being faithful to you, has said to you, if you will acknowledge and admit that you have sinned and need a Savior, and if you will place your faith in Jesus to be your Savior, receive Jesus as Savior, he'll forgive every sin, he'll receive eternal life, and he'll come to live inside you, make you a saint, and begin changing you from the inside out. And then you'll be able to experience the ongoing faithfulness of God. But you have to receive Christ as Savior first. It may be that you've already done that in growing. What you need to do is maybe you need to get back in the Word of God again. Maybe that's slipped. You need to open up your Bible and spend time with it. Talk with God about it. Talk with other people about it, other believers, and, and grow in, in your understanding of it and, and saturate your mind and your heart and so you can cooperate with God as He does these things in your life much more easily. It may be that you just need to stop and say, thank you, God, for being so faithful. Thank you for being so faithful. Right now, I want you to do something for me. I, 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 sometimes you, you don't hear me talking, but I actually want you to do this. Um, right now, in your mind, think this thought and then try to finish it. Say, God, because you are faithful, I should Something you should start, something you should stop, something you should continue. God, because you are so faithful, I should. Now, how many of you just had something come to mind? Raise your hand if you did. Yeah, all right. That's the Holy Spirit telling you that's what you need to do. That's how you need to respond to the Word of God here today. Whatever it was, He, he just put in your heart and mind there. Because He's so faithful, you should. So let's pray about that together. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that you're so faithful, that you work in our lives with your word and, and, and you use everything that happens, whether we cooperate or not. You keep using it all to, to make us more like your son Jesus and to help us to begin to experience and live out and look like the saints that you've made us to be. I pray we would cooperate with you, Father. I pray that whatever that was that you put in our heart and mind, because you're so faithful, I should. I pray, Lord, that we will act on that, that we'll hear that as a word from you, and we'll act on that. Thank you for that. And now everybody, just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Just let me ask, say one other thing. You may be here, and, and you say, you know, I just don't know if I've ever really nailed down that receiving Jesus as Savior thing. I've heard about it, I kind of know, but I, maybe, I don't know if I've nailed that down. And today you would like to, to take care of that. Say, today I want to once and for all receive Jesus my Savior so I can experience his faithfulness. Then if that's you, if that's where you are right now, you in your heart and mind, you say something like this to God. You don't have to pray out loud. He knows what you're thinking. Say, God, just say that with me in your heart. God, I know that I have sinned. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Right now, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I accept his 
payment for my sins. Amen. Still heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Still nobody looking around. If you just prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior, that means that he has forgiven every sin. He's given you eternal life and he's come to live inside of you. But I would like to be able to pray for you about that, encourage you in that. So with nobody else but me looking around, if you just prayed with me to receive Christ as Savior, would you just show, indicate that to me by just raising your hand? Yes, I see that hand. Others? Father, thank you that you settle the eternal destiny of people when they come to you and receive Jesus as Savior. Thank you for this person who's done that and for the five who did it earlier today, Lord. I pray that you make it very real in their lives. Thank you that you are faithful. Help us to go away from here today, Father, encouraged that you are faithful. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.